Good morning. Welcome this morning. If you see in your bulletins, it shows that We Worship was canceled, but uh, Doug and Angel Michaels, in a moment of weakness, I mean in kindness and generosity, volunteer to have We Worship this morning. So if you have a young one that you'd like to attend We Worship, they are getting ready right now to go down. Before we dive in this morning, I'd like to take just a few moments of remembrance. 21 years ago, in almost four hours, an evil attack took place that we now call 9-11. 2,996 lives were taken. 2,750 of those lives were in New York. 400 of those lives were police officers and firefighters. 184 deaths took place at the Pentagon. 40 deaths took place over a field in Pennsylvania where one of the hijacked planes crashed after the passengers took it over. If you would join me in a short moment of silence and remembrance, and then we will pray to start. Heavenly Father, as we as one body come together in memorial remembrance of this evil act, we thank you, Lord, that you are the one who is in supreme control. We pray, Lord, for all of those families of lost loved ones, Fathers, mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers, sons, daughters, great-grandchildren, pilots, flight attendants, volunteers, firefighters, police, men and women, that over these 21 years and maybe even right now this morning, as they are in remembrance and may be filled with pain, that the truth of your word and your love through your Holy Spirit may intercede on each one of them. We thank you, Lord, for the love that you show in us. And we ask this morning as we look in your word, Lord, that we would let go of all the things pulling us away in this world, pulling our thoughts away, stealing our peace, 
taking our mind to different places, thinking about the week ahead, the day ahead. Help us, Lord, this morning to focus and hear your word, that your spirit would speak to us through your word, and that you would be glorified through this worship service this morning. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Thank you again very much for being here this morning. Um, I'd like to spend just a few moments uh, looking at a passage, and the title is there, The Greatest Commandment. And the passage is Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 22, and we'll look specifically at verse 34 through 40. Uh, just to set the stage of this particular passage, and if you've read through the Gospels and familiar with the Gospels, you'll see in the middle and towards the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth that the religious rulers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the uh, higher-ups, they uh, were trying to trap Jesus in his teaching. His teaching and uh, messages drew big crowds, and there was a big movement of people that were believing that he was the Messiah. And the religious rulers, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, did not like this at all. And they tried to start to trick him, trap him, bring him down, oppress him. And uh, so they gathered together uh, to ask him a question. And we'll just start out in 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together and questioned him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, and some of the other uh, uh, versions of our Bible say a, a, a lawyer, an expert, uh, tried to tra trap him with this question and said, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. He ends with the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. If you're looking in your Bible and the title of it, says either religious leaders or rulers question Jesus about the greatest commandment. But then Jesus says in this verse, this is the greatest commandment. Now, I hope all of us in this room have received Christ as our Savior and that we look to Christ as a guide, as our best friend, that we read his word and we allow his spirit to touch us. Some of us here this morning may have never started this relationship. But for those of us who have, when Jesus says the greatest commandment, it perks my ears. Like, this is pretty important, what he's saying. I want to hear what he's saying. So he speaks specifically to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This morning I'd like to look at what the Bible says about love, heart, soul, and mind. Through my time of preparation, there's a little more time spent on the heart. So 
Some of you, like me, might be looking forward to lunch. Once we get past the heart, we're getting close. The religious rulers were trying to trap Jesus with this question. He responds with this command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This passage may be familiar to those of you who are students of God's word. And if you do a quick search, it will come up in four places. There are several places through God's word that commands us to love the Lord with all our heart and soul. Four specific places go with the mind as well. The first place the command is given is in Deuteronomy 6, right after the Israelites received the Ten Commandments, and Moses gives them a charge of commitment. And when he gives them this charge of commitment, he gives the verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love is... Something that all of us, I guess, would maybe come up with different words of a definition. Uh, we're very familiar with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and the passage of love. And I'll just remind you of the few of the verses, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6, and then also verse 13 says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no records of wrongs. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Three things will last forever, verse 13 says. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love. Loving others, loving your neighbor as yourself, loving others as you would want to be loved, takes patience, takes not remembering the wrongs. Uh, A good friend of mine gave me a list in the beginning of July. And the title of this list, a group of small children were asked, what does love mean? I'm just picking out a few of the replies. Uh, Billy, at age four, says, When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Terry, at age four, says, Love is what makes you smile even when you're tired thought about that for a while because I notice as I get older, when I get tired, I get grumpy. (laughs) And that was convicting one for me. Mary Ann at age four. I like this one, but I know some of you may not. Love is when your puppy licks your face, even when you've been gone all day. Now, I know some of you don't like it when your puppy licks your face. I'm sorry. i got to confess. I love it. Take whatever I can get. <laughs> okay, the one that hits the hardest that I think 1 Corinthians is talking about. Nickel, nickel 
at age six says, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. Yeah, excellent, Mike. Out of the word of mouths of babes. Yeah. We each have people around us that make it difficult for us to communicate based on wrongs or events that have happened in the past. And the ability to show love to them doesn't come from our humanness. It comes from God. Love the Lord our God. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. I wanted to share quickly before we move on. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary says after love, a strong affection for another rising out of kinship or personal ties. Life Application Study Bible says under love, the ultimate expression of God's loyalty. Purity and mercy extended towards his people. To be reflected in human relationships of brotherly concern. Marital fidelity and adoration of God. I really enjoy that definition. It brings me joy thinking about human relationships of brotherly concern. That's us, the the church, the body, and our love with each other. But the ultimate expression of God's loyalty to us. Not only all through his word, his love pouring out to his people through each book, but then through his son and what he did for us on the cross. Cleansing our heart of sin. Heart, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, the most essential part of someone. Oh, I'm sorry. When you look at the dictionary, it lists several things. But figuratively, the definition of the heart is the essential part of someone, is what Webster's Merriam's Dictionary says. Life Application Study Bible, the heart, the seat of emotions, thoughts, and intentions. One's personality, disposition, courage, love, and affection. Let me read that one more time. The seat of emotions, thoughts, and intentions. One's personality, disposition, courage, love, and affection. That almost describes the Christian walk, our belief in God. takes courage, affection. Our personality and disposition should be loving towards God. Let's look to God's Word to learn more about the heart. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 19 says, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. What we see in the mirror or what others see on our outside is reflection of our heart coming out. What is on your heart comes out 
in not only our words, but also our actions, our attitude, our mode of operation, our disposition. It's the seat of who we are, our emotions and our thoughts. They come out. Um, The Sunday school recently studied this verse, and through communicating over it, we came up with a simple illustration. If a person is really happy, like on opening a birthday gift, and it's a surprise from a loved one, and you know something good is coming, their heart is happy, and you can see that their heart is happy. If a heart is angry, you can see that the person is angry. Luke chapter 6, verse 45 tells us, A good person produces things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from your heart. This verse hits me square between the eyes and I recognize that any good that there is in the treasury of my heart comes from God's Word and allowing God's Word to penetrate my heart. What I say flows from my heart. I understand more of this greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. What does my heart reflect or what does my heart say if I am focusing on loving the Lord my God with all my heart? Psalms 19.14 It's a prayer of David. May the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, God, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Claiming this verse as a part of your prayer, I would say, defines loving the Lord your God with all your heart. Proverbs 4, chapter 4, verse 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. God's Word teaches us so much about our heart, the inner seat of who we are, the station of our emotions, courage, love, affections. God's Word is a roadmap that we can learn about our hearts. This is a definition of, a a guide, uh, a helpful hint, a tip, a key verse. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The ESV version says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The New International Version says, Guard your heart above all else. Everything you do flows from it. Everything we do flows from our heart. Guard it. Well, how do we guard our heart? Soaking our heart in God's Word is helpful. 
Loving the Lord our God with all our heart is very helpful. One of the things that Lord, uh, God's Word talks about extremely regarding our heart is the ability to forgive and to keep short accounts of forgiveness in our lives. I do not want to stand up here and downplay anybody's life tragedy or hardship in any relationship because none of those things are easy. And since they are so hard, they can only be done with God's help. Forgiveness of others is a way to guard your heart. Allowing somebody to be unforgiven is allowing bitterness to grow. If a heart is bitter, it reflects bitterness. I know that each one of us here knows someone who is bitter, and we see that reflection. I want to just quickly remind you of Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's described as a servant being brought to pay up his accounts, and his accounts are unpayable. Um, In today's standards, they are close to in the billions range from studying this passage. They're unpayable. And the person he owed brought him to pay the accounts, and he begged him to forgive the accounts. The, the, the uh, payment for those accounts would be him and his entire family in prison to pay off the accounts, and it was going to be unpayable within their lifetime. So they would be in prison, working, paying off those accounts for their lifetime. The person he owed forgave the account. The servant begged for forgiveness, and he forgave the account. That servant who was forgiven an unpayable account then went and found someone who owed him what's now described as maybe a thousand dollars compared to the millions and he demanded that that person pay him back and when that person could not that person begged for forgiveness of that thousand dollars and the forgiven servant who was forgiven the millions said, no, I will not forgive you this $1,000. You're going into prison with your family to repay the account. And when the previous debtor forgave that debt and found out, I forgave this person the millions of dollars they owed, and they could forgive somebody $1,000, demanded that man be brought back and his whole family thrown in prison. And if you read the parable, that's us not forgiving others. And God forgave us an unpayable debt. And he's calling us to forgive others. And again, I don't want to downplay your life tragedy, harsh relationship with others. It's difficult. And we can only work through that forgiveness of guarding our hearts by forgiving Through God's word. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart 
will be also. I hate taking verses out of context from the whole passage. And last week, uh, Kyle Taft shared this passage with us, you know, and it starts to encourage us not to store up treasures for ourselves here on earth where all the treasures here on earth can be completely destroyed, but to store up treasures in heaven. And that's what Jesus encourages us. And right after that, he says, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. This passage is teaching us about our heart. It's telling us about our inside heart, the seat of our emotions. What we value most is where our heart is. Um, I know I've visited with several of you that, that catch Bot Radio Network through the week, and then a few of you that catch the Christian station out of Cameron through the week. And they share several of the same shows, radio programs. On Bot Radio Network, there's a Family Life Today, Monday through Friday. It has Dave and Ann Wilson. And almost two weeks ago, they featured an author that wrote on children and raising children. And one of the concepts um, of raising their children is how the children look to the parents and almost mirror exactly what the parents do, say, um, act, what the parents care for, how the parents maybe react um, in several instances. So uh, this author took part in a, uh, a study that their church did where they asked everybody to take home a survey and be completely honest one week. And they asked the parents to ask their children for complete honesty in this one question. And the question is, what do you think mom and dad, myself and your mom, or however, what is it that you think, child, your mom and dad care about the most? Within this survey, you can imagine... Some said God, their relationship with God, church family, their family. There was a lot of good answers. Some of the other answers were almost disheartening. Um, You can fill in the blank. What you care about the most is what you treasure in your heart. It's what flows out of your mouth. It's what's reflected out of you, and all of us around it see it. Jesus said, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. I'm not trying to convict you this morning. I'm sharing what I've been convicted with in God's Word. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary the soul, the immaterial essence of an individual life. The immaterial essence of an individual life. The active or essential part of a person's total self. It's interesting, right? I mean, these are things we don't talk about a lot. If somebody said to you, how do you describe your soul? 
That's, this is what Merriam-Webster's Dictionary says. The Life Application Study Bible tells us, the inner life of a human being, the seat of emotions and the center of a human personality. Now, this, all of these sound similar to heart, but it's a little different. Soul. We know our soul needs saving through God's Word. We know our soul is eternal. The inner life of a human being, the seat of all emotions and the center of human personality. Interesting to me that Jesus' greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Every single one of us this morning has an individual heart and soul. And a lot of times we think it's the part of us that nobody sees. But God's word is really showing us clearly that our heart flows out from us. The words we speak flow from our heart. The inner life of a human being is seen. And Jesus is challenging us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. If we would look at James chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. Understand this, dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your soul. Humbly accept God's word into your heart because God's word coming into your heart has the power to save your soul. Praise God for that. Matthew 16, verse 26 states, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? What a question to be asked. Is anything worth more than your soul? I understand quite clearly the first part of this passage. What do you gain if you have gained the whole world? If I could give a, a message to young people, I'd say, slow down and enjoy the ride. If you get too busy working full-time too fast early with the desire for more money and more things, possessions, life will slip by quickly. If I could give a message to that young person who's already started working full-time and acquiring those possessions and paying for those possessions, I would urge them, make sure those possessions aren't the main focus. Gaining the whole world is not what it's all about. Put an importance on your spiritual life, your soul. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And gaining possession is, is a never-ending cycle. Even the people here on earth that we now see in social media and in the news that have more possessions than 
we can imagine and more money than we can imagine. It hasn't filled the hole in their life. And God's Word teaches us about our soul that there is nothing more important than your soul. We went through the study in VBS and beforehand studying through Genesis that we are created in the image of God. The value of you, your heart, and your soul, there's nothing more valuable. There is nothing more valuable. I wish I could give that message to young people and they would hear it. I wish I could give that message to the people that are a little older now chasing the dollar to pay those things and that it would be heard and seen clearly because as we know, we live in this fallen world that is consumed with possessions and the status quo and the image. There is nothing more important than your soul. The image will not save your soul. The status quo will not save your soul. The possession won't save your soul. I told myself a lie as a young person. Well, as soon as I have this, I'll be able to slow down and focus on serving the Lord. It's a choice. And again, it may be another one of those choices in your life that only takes one thing. Looking to God's word to make that decision happen in you. What would it gain a person if they have the whole world but lose their own soul? There is nothing more important than your soul. We learn something else about our soul in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. reads, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Some of those young people that are now chasing the world to gain the whole world, they know the burden on that and the yoke is heavy and burdensome. We learn a lot about our souls through this verse. One of the things I learned that I appreciate so much that took a while, because I believe I shared this last time I got to speak to you. Um, Maybe it was the time period I grew up, or maybe, I I don't know. I know I I grew up with a very loving family, but I got to tell you, until teenage years when I started noticing girls, life was zippity-doo-dah day. I had no worries. There was no pressure. The Lord provided three hots in a cot and a loving family. Working with children today, it's not the case. Anxiety and pressures are heavy on their hearts. And it is so sad to hear about kindergartners, first graders, second graders that are just caught up in such desperation that they're hurting themselves. So back to this. Till I started growing older and got out of that zippity-doo-dah day phase, I started to realize I need rest. I can't go on and on and on without resting. Jesus realizes this as well, and he gives us this promise. 
Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Let Jesus teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your soul. Each one of us here, like I said, has a heart and soul. That soul, your soul needs rest. Some of you are saying, yeah, I know, Scott. I need rest. Let's take it. Let's take it from him. Just to touch up on this verse a little bit more. Let me teach you. Let Jesus teach you because I am gentle, humble and gentle at heart. Teachers, God bless you. Thank you for spending your life to be a teacher. Teaching others takes humility and gentleness. Have you ever been in the position where somebody who knew something really, really well, and it was easy for them, tried to teach you how to do it. But they did not exercise humility or gentleness. And maybe they weren't trying to be mean or rude. It's just the more they tried to get you to get it, the more angry you were getting, saying, leave me alone. It's not helping. Um, I'm not a computer person, but this is what's happened to me when People try to show me something on the computer, and it always starts with, well, just look here. It's easy. No. (laughs) Husbands and wives, have you ever thought, oh, this will be easy. I'll teach my spouse how to do this. No. Right? It takes humility and gentleness at heart to learn something. Jesus is promising that to you. Learn from Take my yoke upon you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Be the last verse we look at for soul. We're learning more about our soul. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between the soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The Word of God is alive. And I love this description. Sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. And as I get older, I realize... I need that sharp sword to penetrate my thick skull. I need God's word to penetrate my heart, to cut between my soul, to teach me. Living here on earth, I can get in a routine, and I can teach myself a routine, and a lot of those routines aren't biblical. Looking to God's Word. God's Word is alive. It's active. It's living. It wants to speak to our soul. I don't think I can love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul without loving His Word and looking into His Word. It's the source, the place that we have the ability to love the Lord our God with all our soul. Moving on to the mind. That means we're close to closing. Merriam-Webster, the mind, 
the element in an individual that feels, perceives, thinks, wills, and especially reasons the mind. Life Application Study Bible says, the part of humans that engages in conscious thinking, feeling, and decision-making. Biblically, the mind is essentially similar, related, or compatible to the heart. Interesting that it added that in there. Jesus' command, the greatest command in Jesus' words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. We can see easily how falseness directs minds into believing false things. We see that extensively through God's word, false teachers popping up to sway people. We have examples of it in the world today, cultures of people believing things that we know are false. Romans 12, chapter 2, a very familiar verse, I'm sure, for several of us. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, by changing your mind. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good, pleasing, and perfect. I really appreciate all of God's word and what it says over our heart, soul, and mind because it speaks to us on our inner person. It speaks to us on our heart. It speaks to us on our soul. And it speaks to us on our mind. I feel like Jesus is saying your number one concern should be loving me with all your heart, soul, and mind. If this takes place, the actions that happen on the outside according to the verses that we read that taught us about our heart, our soul, and our mind causes a change. And some of those changes are so subtle. And how we impact others sometimes are so subtle. The character of who you are, your inner being, the core of your heart affects your loved ones, affects your family, affects your community, affects your church, affects you. Pray this morning as we looked at these verses that you may have been encouraged through this to consider loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and loving others as you would want to be loved. Psalm 19.14, I just want to remind you again before we close in prayer, says, May the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the words of our mouths be pleasing to God. 
So many times we're worried about the words of my, our mouths and how they fall on others. And that's good to be concerned of that. We want to show the ones we love that we love them by our words. But if we are focusing and praying and asking God that the words of our mouths would be pleasing to Him, I think that's where our number one concern should be that the words of our mouths would be pleasing to God and that that would be the most efficient show of love to others around us. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for the transforming power. Thank you for your word being alive. I pray, Lord, that your word has touched our hearts this morning that we would look to your word more and cling to you more in your word, that we would be an impact not only on ourselves, on our inner being, but how you would use us to show love to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen.